Welcome to Sexual Craftsmanship, the podcast that teaches you how to develop sexual confidence and become a better lover using a system of practice suited for dating and sex in today's world. No experience necessary. And now, here's your host, certified sex coach, sociologist, and mega nerd, Sarah Martin. Hello, craftsmen. How are you doing today? I am certified sex coach Kincaid McMinn, and welcome to Sexual Craftsmanship. Today, we've got a very special episode for you. Today, instead of the normal layout where your host, Sarah Martin, interviews a woman dating men in STEM, I will instead be interviewing Sarah on her experiences with sex, dating, and relationships. Sarah asked me to do this interview because we share a lot of the same values on sex and dating. See, I'm not in STEM personally, but growing up, I was always a little bit of an outlier. I was in theater. I was in choir. I was always a little bit on the outside. I was never really one of the cool kids. And I was so desperate to get ahead in the dating game that I ended up turning to a lot of pickup artists materials when I was in late high school and early college. And while that would help me get out of my shell, get me to meet women, I found that it used a lot of really bad psychological tactics. And the relationships that I would get into with those tactics would inevitably end in failure. So after doing this for a while, I thought there's got to be a different way to try to do things. And that is something that I'm working on with my sex coaching practice. And one of the reasons why Sarah and I get along so well. And she thought that I would be a good pick to flip the script on her. Now, for a lot of men in STEM, feedback is what makes or breaks a project. It allows you to adjust and improve. Feedback is what makes the difference between pleasure and despair. But in Sarah's and my own experience, feedback is something that is sorely lacking in the sex and dating realm. So today, we get to hear Sarah's story. I encourage you all to listen for what you can learn and for where you can see yourself in this experience. Now, without any further ado, let's welcome your host, Sarah Martin. Hi, Kincaid. What a pleasure to be here today. What a pleasure to be here as well. Thank you for allowing me this wonderful opportunity to get to hear your side of the story. Why, thank you for coming and being such a delightful guest host. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Uh, Why don't we start off? Hopefully, I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast may already know a little bit about you, especially if they listen to the beginning of the podcast, you you give a little bit of your history, but why don't we start for people who are new that this is their starting point. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your name, where you're from, any sort of basic information and how we got to this point for you. Sure. Hi, my name is Sarah Martin. I'm a certified sex coach and a sociologist, and I am a lady person. I identify as a woman I am 35 years old, and where I'm from is a tricky question because I'm from all over. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in the United States in a wacky little state called Vermont, and I left home pretty early to start traveling and never stopped. Nowadays, I call Lithuania 
which is a small country in northeastern Europe, home. Uh, but home has also been the United Kingdom. Home has also been Poland. So home is all over the map. And yeah, I love podcasting. <laughs> and I spend an awful lot of my time thinking about sex and relationships. I love it. Now, you you spend a lot of your time talking and thinking about sex and relationships because this is your passion. This is what you do for work. This is what you do for your livelihood. And that doesn't just come out of nowhere. That has to have a lot of personal experience. So can you tell us a little bit about your dating life? I, You're married now, but when you were dating, how did you meet people? How did you, and what did you enjoy doing when you were dating? How did you get to this point where this is your passion? <laughs> There's several questions in there. When it comes to my dating life, that's a long and tortured tale from struggling a lot, especially when I was in high school. I got married for the first time to somebody I met when I was 19 years old, which, I mean, when you're 19, like, you think you know everything about how the world works. If I could go back and speak to my younger self, I'd be like, what you doing getting married right now? And I did it, right? So most of my adult dating life didn't happen until I was 27, 28, when I got divorced from my first husband. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, shit, <laughs> how does anybody do this? I have no idea. I haven't had to think about this. And the last time I was dating was when I was in high school or early on at uni. And the world seemed to have moved on so much. There was this new thing called online dating, which was, I don't know, a whole new world to me. So I was pretty green when I came back after that divorce. And I was also seeking at that time. I This is before I got into the field of sexology or started thinking at all critically about the assumptions that we make about what relationships are and how they quote unquote should be. And at the time that I got divorced, one of my colleagues at work had said to me, you might want to check out this person. She runs a dance organization. This is when I lived in London. And she's also polyamorous and she writes about relationships a lot on her blog. You might want to check her out. And I did. And I got involved with this dance organization. So started to meet people who were having the kinds of relationships that maybe secretly deep down I'd been really curious about. And I also hadn't realized it was actually an option. And through them, I got connected to the sex positive community in London. And yeah, so that's part of the story there in terms of how did I approach dating then I, I went hard with the online dating thing. I had lots of fails and I had eventually with time, I started to understand a bit more about how to communicate through this medium. And then I started going on more and better dates until like I got to Poland and the Polish era of my life is one of absolute plenty when it comes to sex and relationships. And it was at that point, I felt like I had really good mastery over 
whatever kind of relationship I'm looking to form or open to, I had a pretty good idea about how to communicate that. When it comes to things I like to do on dates, my favorite first date is grab a coffee and have a walk in the park. And I've also done all sorts of other things, go to philosophy lectures, go play VR, go to hackathons, <laughs> go to, you know, lots What's of different a, a sorts of activity. Hackathon is a thing where a bunch of people get together maybe for one day, maybe for a whole weekend, and there's a project to make. So uh, one I went to once was a hackathon centered around making a game inspired by the trolley problem. And there were programmers oh. there and graphic designers there. And there was me who's just wacky, but creative. <laughs> and yeah, and then we had one night. So it was New Year's Eve. That's what I did one New Year's Eve. And we came up with a bunch of different games and that was really neat. So that's one example of what a hackathon could be. So just just like a hardcore coding jam session. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And more than just that, because you're trying to emerge with something done. So mm. it's I'll dispel that myth on this podcast now. Hackathons aren't just for programmers. So if you've been curious but feel like you might not belong, you might surprise yourself. And it's usually a lot of really great people. I'm going to check that out. That sounds so cool. So we, what you, you talk about this you getting to Poland and figuring out what types of relationships you wanted and then definitely being able to experience all of the different types of relationships that you wanted in different forms. Can you expand on what kinds of relationships you've experienced and what kinds you might prefer, whether it's short-term, long-term? You mentioned polyamorous relationships. Are there any more different formats that you could elucidate our listeners on? Well, I mean, at this point, it's more a question of what kinds of relationships haven't I experienced <laughs> because I, at various points in my life, have been all over the spectrum from married, as I am again now, and monogamous through to uh, polyamorous with multiple different partners, one who I lived with, others who I had varying degrees of emotional intimacy with through to plenty of hookups and casual sex and one night stands through to BDSM relationships. Yeah, I've been very led by desire a lot of the time in in my life where if I've had these curiosities, it's become a question of how do I approach this in a way that's respectful towards myself and other people. Mm. And if I let go of shame around things, is this something that I want? Why, why wouldn't I try this if it's something that, that I want? I don't think there's anything inherently shameful about this. I think it's more about how do I also take care of myself, take care of the people who will be my partners, whether that's for one night or a long old time. And yeah, that's in terms of preference, I've preferred different things at different points in my life. So right now I'm extremely happy being married and being monogamous. And I think that's in part because this time it was a conscious choice. Now that I was aware of all the alternatives available, 
that that feels really different to just going into a marriage because that's the next step on the relationship escalator. And well, I guess this is what you're supposed to do after you've dated for three years. So yeah, so I've had unconscious as well as conscious relationships and and all sorts. I hope that gives a little bit of a picture of my exciting life. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine I'm imagining the in-depth and wonderful conversation that you and your husband would have had to sit down and try to figure out, okay, how do we want this to play out? And I'm just imagining how in-depth and wonderful it would have been. You have been all over the relationship spectrum, and I'm sure you've graced a lot of different people with being their partner, and I'm sure a lot of people have blessed your life as well. What are some important things that you look for in a partner or in having that conversation? So in terms of what I look for in partners, what I've always looked for in partners in part is this a passion and a deep interest in life. If I think of everybody that I've ever been with apart from maybe some of the the hookups and one night stands, they've been people who have a real a real passion, also a real intellectual energy around things. My ex-husband was an economist and really passionate about economics, which was really cool and interesting. And my husband now is a software developer, but started out life as a physicist. And and I give those examples to show like that really does something for me. <laughs> like having a a vivid and lively imagination, having a desire to learn a, a huge sense of openness and curiosity about the world. That's definitely something that I find highly attractive and look for in partners. I think nowadays that I'm a bit older and wiser, I, I look for folks that have the ability to have conversations mm-hmm. and to communicate about things that where it might feel awkward or it might be maybe not the done thing. <laughs> it's so important in part in, in order to experience what you want in life, you have to be able to communicate about it. So that's something that's been a priority for me as I came into my thirties. And, you know, I guess I had that experience where I got burned a lot in my early experiences of online dating. And my takeaway from that was to be really ruthless about filtering for communication. And that has never done me wrong since I adopted that as my modus operandi. Ooh, I love that. And yes, with, with regards to being able to communicate and especially not doing the thing just because of the thing that everyone else is doing. I find that is a constant point of conversation, both in with my clients as well as in my own life is just myth busting. Hey, just because this is what the quote unquote standard is, doesn't mean that's what you have to do or that's what you should do. Or maybe that's even what you want to do, really. Maybe you Mm -hmm. really want something else. So it's a matter of figuring out what that is, even if it doesn't go with the flow, and being able to have those hard conversations about it. That's such an important skill. I love that you brought that up. You talk about, you mentioned your husband and your ex-husband's professions and trades, and they're both men in STEM. And obviously, you cater a lot to men in STEM. What experiences overall do you have with dating men in STEM? 
I think the majority of my partners who have been men have been in STEM fields. So Sarah over here is not a heterosexual. <laughs> so I think it's it's worth pointing that out. When it comes to the relationships I've had with men, though, I'd say basically they have all been men in STEM with some exceptions. Or maybe, I don't know, 85% men in STEM and 15% usually like sociologists or artists or musicians. I had a bit of a musician thing. I at some point and then i, I think like, almost everyone goes so, through a musician thing at some point it's it seems so it seems like it's going to be so good on the surface and <laughs> then i find that at least in my limited albeit you know limited experience it, it never lasts that long with musicians and sometimes that's perfectly okay sometimes i don't want it to last that long but there we go. There's an odd one out. But yeah, otherwise, the relationships I've enjoyed the most as well, I think it's worth pointing out when it comes to relationships with men have been with men in STEM. I love it. What specifically, what are you, what are you specifically attracted to men in STEM? Or was this just, is it like a type or is it just a coincidence of some sort? I think I pointed it out earlier on that some of these traits that I find highly attractive are very commonly found in people that pursue science or technology or engineering or mathematics is this this curiosity, this drive to know, this like physicist man, I've got a bit of a thing for physicists in general, the light bearers, the ones who want to explain the fabric of the universe. Like there's something very poetic and hot about that. And at the same time, one thing I've always found like fascinating about programmers or developers, they are the architects of the online world where we all spend so much time now. Just think about that. Think about kind of the, I know, the power and responsibility that comes with constructing a reality. Anyway, oh, so, wow. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot of this I find really interesting because it's, about how do things come together. And I, I'm always curious about the world in this respect too. What makes things the way that they are? And here I love being able to explore that with partners. And so that's something I find really hot. And having a passion for your interests. In general, I find myself saying it all the time, but if you want to be interesting, be interested. Mm. And that's both in other people, but also in life in general. So I think those are some of the things that I particularly love and find attractive in a lot of the men in STEM that I know. I think I also, it's worth mentioning because this is by no means generalizable to the entire population of men in STEM. And at the same time, I notice it as a trend that a lot of these men have a kindness and a gentleness around them. And that's, something I really highly value and also find attractive, especially because let's be blunt here. I like some kinky shit. And if you like Ooh. some kinky shit, it's nice to have a partner who has as a default kindness and gentleness, because mm -hmm. that makes it a lot easier to go walk those edges with somebody. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. The last thing that you want, especially in a kinky relationship, is someone who is going to be hard and uncaring on the outside after a scene is done. Aftercare is so important. And just beyond that one bullet point, you touched on so many different things there. You talked about how physicists are the torchbearers, which I think is really a, a wonderful romantic way of viewing that. I hadn't ever really thought of that before, but that's so true. And programmers being the architects of this kind of new online world, this new frontier, so beautiful. I I think that's amazing. You You touched on so many different wonderful points there. I hope that everyone can find something to unpack there for themselves. And you talked about, you touched on this earlier with regards to you're being able to just filter out good communicators and bad communicators, but maybe expand on it a little bit more. When it comes to your experience, do you remember who asked who out? Yeah, one quick point. So it's not so much about good or bad communicators. It's about a willingness to communicate. And that is far more important. So even if somebody's oh. awkward and stumbling or a bit unsure, that's fine. Like, I'm not looking for expert communicators. I'm looking for an expert willingness to communicate. So I think that's a really useful distinction and hadn't occurred to me uh, until I listened to you just now. But in terms of who asked who out, I ask the people out. <laughs> is basically you're, you're always the one to step up to the plate and this is something that i've had to do some processing around right because when it comes to society and gender roles which even though i've spent a lot of time thinking critically about this it still affects me because i still live in society i'm still a person and there mm -hmm. also used to be like awkward duck sarah as a young person who didn't really know any better and that this was just the way of the world and none of the boys at school asking me out. And it's if I'd just done the, the thing prescribed for my gender, what would have happened? Not much. So at some point, my overall general horniness and desire to do things like kiss people and hold their hands and whatnot, like, that overpowered whatever shame I had about needing to step out of my gender role to make it happen. And then I discovered at some point, actually, that going and initiating is a really powerful thing because you get an answer so much faster because maybe they just straight up tell you no, but then, okay, you a little bit sad. And then I've not wasted six months like fantasizing about this guy who's just not at all. Exactly. At the same time, like it does sometimes bum me out a little bit where it's like, uh. but then I also wonder too, like, were you just really impatient? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and maybe some of these people who I eventually had relationships of one sort or another with might have initiated at some point down the road if I'd given them more time. And hashtag no regrets really like it's for the awkwardness and some of the the birthplace of Sarah going out and being an initiator in sex and relationships isn't a particularly happy one that comes out of quite a, a painful period in my life because I I had just a 
shit bullied out of me for years and years at school. And a lot of the bullying centered around my weight and my physical appearance. And the script, even though it had various permutations, was something along the lines of no one's ever going to love you because you're ugly. No one's ever going to want to have sex with you because you're ugly. And I was like, shit. Because the thing is, there's part of me that's always believed, yeah, you're going to be fucking. Because <laughs> it's very deeply what I wanted to yeah. do. Like I had that awareness of myself early on. While at the same time, the the danger in having things repeated to you over and over is that I am but human. I am only a hairless ape at the end of the day. And there's something about repetition that makes things sound more true. So it is a battle mm. against those things. And that's something where I have tremendous compassion for anybody that went through bullying because I know exactly what that can feel like. And yeah, and at the same time, that is also part of why I wanted to get the fuck out of Dodge when I was a kid. And I'm very lucky in the life that I've had and the traveling that I've done and the people that I've met. And I feel very fortunate sometimes when I speak to other women that didn't have this thing happen where they needed to go and initiate. And now they're running into frustration later on in their adult life. And so in a lot of our struggles, there's usually gifts. That doesn't mean that the struggles don't suck. They fucking do. Absolutely. And there is also most often something that we can salvage from it and some learning we can take from it. But yes, Kincaid, I ask most people out most of the time. <laughs> that was that was such that was such a long but it was so good. I I love asking like one question and just hearing where you go with it because it's never just a cut and dry answer. And I think that's amazing. What are, it's, you touched on this earlier as well. You mentioned that whenever you were 27 and began dating again, that you started out with online dating and that that was a whirlwind for you starting out. What other ways have you met people? Has, has, was it almost all online dating? Were there in-person experiences, meetup groups, friends and, and colleagues how were you meeting people during this like feast and famine on and off part? And then when you moved to Poland, like especially the feasting section of your life. I mean, in high school, that was just who was around. Sure. Which I think is how it is for most people. And then after the divorce, because that big old stretch of time, I didn't date anybody apart from my husband. Then after that, online dating, a big one. And when I moved to Poland, then at that point, it was still a lot of online dating. Also, I became active in the local polyamory community, and I met other polyamorous people or people practicing polyamory there. And some of those folks down the line are people that I asked out and had relationships of various sorts with. One lovely partner I had, I met at a workshop when I was in Germany, and that was, uh, that was, I, again, I'm still friends with almost all of these people that I had relationships with of one sort or another during the period of my life when I lived in Poland. 
So a variety of ways that I met people. I also met some people that were just one-off things at swing clubs when I would go from time to time or folks passing through town that I knew through friends. A number of means, though the one that I came to love the most at the end of all of this was online dating. And hands down, my favorite way to go and meet people for whatever sort of mm-hmm. relationship type I was looking for. I think that's... Yeah, I, I think I understand where you're coming from there with online dating because... In a way, you can do some of the pre-filtering out and just finding someone who is also interested in what you're interested in right from the get-go. It's very different from meeting someone in a bar and really having to tease out from a total stranger what's going on. You're able to automatically sort through and find a similar type of person to what you're looking for. I think that's a major strength of online dating that is downplayed. And I wish that more people would understand just how strong that can be. I think the biggest thing when it comes to online dating is that it's a very powerful context. In general, the majority of people who are on online dating apps are there because they are looking to date people. Whereas if you're in the wild, you first got to ascertain if somebody is even interested Maybe they're asexual or maybe they have a, a partner and they're in a monogamous relationship or maybe they're just after a breakup and now is so not a good time to be asking. Whereas you can generally make an assumption that if somebody's on an online dating app and especially if you've matched with each other, they're more than likely open to receiving some communication and it won't be a total shocker if you ask them out for coffee. Absolutely. So what are when it comes to when it comes to your experience with dating, uh, specifically dating men in STEM, what have been some of the best and some of the worst parts about that? So the best parts Mm -hmm. about dating men in STEM, the types of conversations that we're able to have. I enjoy me a good a good hard intellectual conversation. (laughs) no but getting out of my eros a little bit I have loved so much getting to explore so many new things and be able to share my interests with somebody and have them share their interests with me I love learning and I love understanding more about the world so it's it's perfect for the part of me that's totally curious and open about the world too. I've also really enjoyed being in relationships with people that are are used to being a little bit off the script themselves. I think one thing a lot of folks in STEM or folks with science-y inclinations have is that in, in some ways you can feel... I don't know, like back in school, like being a little bit of an outcast or an outsider. And that's not true for everybody, but it is for a decent number of people. And I think an advantage towards having folks like that in your social circle, whether as partners or as friends, is that especially when I think about men, there's less of a rigid adherence to the man box, to the I must do these things in order to be a man like 
because that can get real hardcore real quick in relationships with musicians. It's more or more for folks that where that's been part of their pattern their whole life that I must do these things to fit in, especially when I've got non-standard sexuality and non-standard sexual orientation. I appreciate just being accepted for who I am and that I'm a little bit outside of the box is, is cool. So that's something that I found much easier to, to find in relationships with men in STEM than in relationships with other men, that sort of 15% other category that I've experienced in my life. In terms of downsides to relationships with men in STEM, I don't know how much of this is a STEM thing, how much of it is a me and my impatience sort of thing. But I, I wish some of these guys would initiate a bit more. I wish that they would feel more free to speak their desires, which is something that normally happens with time and is wonderful when it does. And sometimes I still find myself like thinking back through various relationships, being an initiator of things on a fairly regular basis, be that conversations or activities or sex. And yeah, so I think that would be one of those things that I, it's not that I dislike, it's that it frustrates me sometimes. I suppose the other thing that I have noticed is there can be a little bit of workaholism in these folks where that's like the double-edged sword to having something that you're deeply passionate about. And the thing that you're deeply passionate about is also related to your work and where your work is really well compensated. That can turn into a little bit of a loop where there can be a massive temptation to be working all the time, especially when you can work remotely from anywhere, which again is like actually a really brilliant thing. Yeah. That's sometimes that whole, ah, like I really want us to be like fucking but you're working right now and you seem to be working all the time that can be a thing too so again these are are trends it's certainly not everybody but i would say those are some of the things i love and some of the things that frustrate me absolutely and workaholism is a hell of a drug i too am Mm. a workaholic and i i completely understand where you're coming from, and I completely understand where your partners are coming from. It's a hell of a drug, that's for sure. But there were also some really great positives there too. With regards to your experience with dating, this is another kind of point and then counterpoint. What have you noticed that has been really great about dating these men that they are completely unaware of? And then what's something that's been just an instant turnoff when it comes to dating them that they may have been also unaware of. So mm. so really great thing that they don't know about and then really bad thing, an instant off that they also don't know about. So a great thing, which is, uh, maybe I'll say two great things because okay. I don't want to sound highly transactional. But one thing that is really great is... I love when I'm in relationships specifically with programmers or developers or other people who are around computers a lot and kind of 
take their knowledge of machines for granted, where sometimes some problem emerges and uh, they just whip up a solution or oh, right? <laughs> or they, they see me doing something and they're like, there's like a way easier way to do that. And I learned some keyboard shortcut where it blows my mind and saves me cumulative hours of my life from pointless clicking. There's something just magical about that. It's almost like, again, to get a bit fantastical with my language, but it's like they turn into some sort of wizard or something with just magical powers. And it's, wow, I, I love when I see something conjured like that or that this ability to problem solve almost as second nature. And doesn't everybody have this, like this kind of thing that can get downplayed by folks that I think are really strong in it is amazing and just cool to watch in action. So I think that's maybe something that they might not even be aware of. And otherwise, I would, again, kind of cycle back to this curiosity and deep interest in things that maybe are a little bit outside the mainstream. But there is something really awesome to to listening to somebody talk about things that they really care about. And I know a lot of the guys that I've dated have sometimes been quite shy about this or mm. like holding back a little bit because it's, I don't want to bore you with it. And it's, it no, is I pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily want like a three hour sermon or anything. <laughs> and at the same time, I love, I just love being in the presence of somebody who's so joyful at something that they've learned or discovered. So in terms of like downsides, much easier to pinpoint because this one, there's also a trend for this in the men in STEM that I've known, Uh which is this, it can happen a sort of arrogance that looks down on others. And that that's kind of like my sexual kryptonite. If, and, and this could extend towards people from like, other intellectual disciplines sometimes. Oh, sociology, that's nice. Then there's like real science, or it's like unnecessary, mate. But it it can also crop up in other ways too, like looking down on people who are service workers, or I don't know, people who are bin men, like trash collectors, or people who are homeless, or... I, I can't really with anybody who punches down. It it's just I, I think it's the most repulsive thing in terms of common traits among humanity because disrespecting the dignity of other human beings, like number one, again, like maybe that has some roots in the fact that I'm kinky as fuck. And if you have a predisposition towards punching down towards those with less power, that's certainly not somebody that I want to play with. Absolutely not. And also more, it's just, what are we all doing here on Spaceship Earth? Like, kindness should be the first thing always in our interactions with each other. So, yeah, that that will be the, the one that gets to me. And, and I just want to make it clear, it's not about having confidence in your area of competence that's hot or speaking authoritatively or if you hear somebody wildly mischaracterizing something and you hop in to say no actually that's not correct blah 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 it's not that which I think some people mistake as as arrogance I just see that mostly as competence it's this 
cruelty. It's this unkindness towards other people in ways blatant and subtle that just no. Yeah. So you can often tell a lot about somebody by how they treat wait staff. That's someone who is in a service position that is, if if they're, if your date is treating that person badly, chances are that at some point they're they're gonna treat you badly. Or there's also the other anecdote of if you want to know how somebody is in a relationship, look at their relationship with their parents in some way. There's just kindness, confident like competence and kindness are never bad things, but being a jerk about things is a terrible trait. And I completely understand where you're coming from there, but kindness we are yes we are all human beings we're all trying to make things work on this blue orb kindness is never a negative trait i would say Mm -hmm. this is following on that and maybe we've already covered it what for you makes a man just irresistibly sexy and then what makes a man unattractive for you? And we've touched a lot on some of these personality characteristics. So I don't know if you want to take it to a physical realm or if you want to stay here or expand on anything here. I mean, just to mix things up, like it, it can be fun to, to touch on the physical because sure. I got me a bit of a type. I love green eyes. <laughs> I really like green eyes. Ooh. I like men with a bit of a beard or some sort of facial hair generally. Height-wise, actually, I don't really care. Like, I've had short lovers and I've had extremely tall lovers and they've all been great. And similarly, like, in general, I tend to toward the skinny side with guys, but I've I've dated men with all sorts of body types and it's not, it's not a, a super important consideration. I love glasses. I love... And, and rectangle glasses. I don't like circle glasses. So... <laughs> So there, I'm a little bit picky on that totally arbitrary <laughs> detail. There's something particular about that, about circle glasses that's just no. I don't know what it is because rectangles are sexy and circles aren't. So I think like in terms of physical traits that I enjoy, that's a, a sampling of them. In terms of what makes a man unattractive, apart from what I've already listed in terms of being unkind which is the big one I guess I I guess like some basic things like in terms of hygiene I also I have a thing about people that wear clothing that's three or four sizes too large and just doesn't fit their bodies I think that's like looking from the outside it's not exactly a turnoff but it's also not exactly attractive either so yeah, I'm just trying to think through. Oh, political affiliation can also <laughs> be really unattractive. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess That's there's a huge less compatibility point. Yeah, there's nothing really particularly strong in terms of a physical turnoff, apart from like neglecting basic hygiene. I think is something that would be a turnoff in terms of people in general. Yeah, I can see that being a thing. Def- like definitely you basic hygiene just being able to, to care for yourself is yeah that's a pretty important one when you're meeting people 
this is gonna get juicy. How do you know when you would like to have sex with a partner? I usually know pretty quick. And in terms of my in terms of my desire, like <laughs> it's very high. So it's if you can pass that basic bar of is a decent not being, being yeah. Right. Not being cruel or unkind and having a willingness for conversations so that we can talk about safer sex. A lot of the time it just connects. I, I think I think the only thing, and I guess I could have mentioned this before too, is I got a real thing with smell. So some people just smell mm. good. And this is whether they've showered or not. And some people just smell bad, whether they've showered or not. And that's a whole thing in terms of some of the science behind that. But so provided that you're a decent human being, you smell okay to me and you're willing to have a conversation like I'm pretty fluid in that respect during the periods of time where I've been open to to having multiple partners and so forth right now I'm, I'm extremely content but yeah like it's not hard <laughs> I guess I'll say that <laughs> uh, yeah like just don't be a terrible human being and have a natural scent and there's a difference between between enjoying someone's like natural scent which even sometimes like a little bit of a little bit of sweat or a little bit of body odor can be okay and then not bathing yourself for multiple days and then it can get really rank but a little bit of natural body odor can actually be a good thing and, and with so with regards to your relatively low bar as you describe it for sex with a partner so it's it's not just like an exclusive thing that like yes i just want to have sex with this person because i see a relationship and a future with them oh my sweet summer child (laughs) (laughs) friends acquaintances who seem nice enough Mm -hmm. people i only ever met once off of okcupid and never saw again like it's yeah okay what okay what do you wish men would do more of during sex and then what do you wish men would absolutely would do less of So speaking about men broadly, like I wish men would smile more during sex and Mm. laugh and make noise, like show, show your pleasure and your delight and your joy because it's fucking hot. (laughs) Um, And yeah, this having a, a sense of humor about things because bodies do all sorts of crazy stuff and it's never polished like it looks in the movies of the Hollywood or the pornographic variety because you're two real humans with human bodies so that's yeah but definitely the smiling thing is a big one in terms of what I wish men would do less of like unimaginative jackhammering because that's boring and I guess thinking a little bit more I know about the experience as a whole, like coming down out of your head and into your body is is a good thing. I think a lot of men do spend a lot of time in their head wondering, am I doing this right? Am I performing well? And like, that's one of those things where folks can tell if you're not fully present. And it can be a little bit like, what's happening right now? What are they? What are, are they concerned about something? Have I done something or am I doing something that they want me to stop but don't feel like they can say it, it creates a little bit of a 
a tension that's not a pleasant tension. So I think that's one thing. And that that leads to another point, not speaking up for what you want is one of those things. And also speaking up when you don't want something or something doesn't feel good, because mm-hmm. that makes it really challenging to to figure out like how to help create pleasure for a partner that is maybe trying to be stoic about something. I think that's got to stop. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say when something's not feeling good. I agree. Yeah. Because then your yeses are stronger when you're able to voice a no effectively. Mm-hmm. And you have a whole podcast episode about that. I sure do. All right. Last question. We're going to wrap this up. This is the final podcast episode of the year. This is launching on December 31st. Mm-hmm. Going into the new year, what is something that you wish that men in STEM knew about your experiences overall here and and wrap it up with a final message that your listeners can take into the new year. Yeah. Happy new year, everybody. The takeaway message from this episode, and I hope from a lot of the podcast in general too, is y'all are so much closer than you think you are. And my wish for you is to begin seeing yourselves the way that I see you. Because in in the men in STEM that I know, the ones that have been my lovers or my partners or my friends or my clients, it breaks my heart when I see such amazing people who worry about whether anybody's ever going to like them or whether anybody's ever going to date them or whether they're good enough. And there's this big long list of all the things that they think they need to do or change about themselves to become acceptable. And it's just such fucking bullshit. And you don't have to change who you are or be somebody that you're not to be loved or never mind even being loved to have great fun sex with nice people. Like what I want for all of you is to have this connection and pleasure and joy in your lives because you're some of the best people I know. Like when I have conversations with women and I hear this lament, where have all the good men gone? What I usually say is they're behind their computer screens. Go and call them out. Like mm. It's my deep belief that it you deserve so much. And I know that there have been a lot of struggles on the road to now and that sometimes you can feel like losing hope or is it ever going to happen for you? And I believe it is going to happen for you. And more than that, if you're listening to this podcast, if you found your way here, if you've been doing the seeking and the learning and opening up your curiosity to your sexuality in this part of life, then you are so much closer than you realize. So that's what I would love for all of you to take away and take into 2021 when hopefully we're going to be able to get back to some semblance of normal in the realm of dating, sex, and relationships. Sarah Martin, thank you so much for that wonderful, thoughtful closing message. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sexual Craftsmanship Podcast, the very last episode of the year. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope everybody took something of value from this story from Sarah sharing her story. And if you want to 
find more with her, you can go to sexualcraftsmanship.com. And if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Royal Love Coach. And my new website, royallovecoach.com, should be live with the new year. So go ahead and check that out as well, everyone. In the meantime, Sarah, thank you so much for having me on here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you, Kincaid, for coming in and doing this with me here. And for everybody listening, I'll catch you right back here next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to jump right into the sexual craftsmanship process, head on over to sexualcraftsmanship.com backslash friendzone and download your free guide to avoiding the friend zone for good, including five exact scripts you can use today. 